Welcome to the Pastor Nick Santo podcast, a podcast designed to help you live closer to Jesus. We hope that God uses it to encourage and empower you in his plan for your life. Now let's get into today's content. For announcements, we are in 1 Samuel chapter 3 for our study. You guys ready to hear the word? Ready to hear from God? I think he's going to speak to us tonight. I think he's going to teach us how to hear his voice tonight. Thus far, this is our uh, third, third installment, our third message in the series. Uh, in our first one, uh, our, our theme essentially was expectation, and that is that we as the people of God can expect that we will hear his voice, that it isn't for a choice few, it isn't for those that are just prophetic in their ministry or those that are kind of in the higher level uh, elite Christian realm, but God speaks to us, so expectation. And then last week, we kind of talked about environment, and that is that it's in the stillness that God gets us into a place where we're able to hear him uh, within earshot of his voice. And so then tonight, we want to talk about experiencing that. How is it that we hear God What does he sound like when he talks, and how do we recognize his voice when he speaks to us? And so the passage of Scripture, I think you'll find it very fitting. We want to take our cues right from God's Word. And so 1 Samuel chapter 3, let's read the first part of the passage together, uh, and then we'll begin to look at uh, the the passage and answer the question. So it says in verse 1 of chapter 3, it says that the child Samuel ministered or served... Unto the Lord before Eli, or in the presence of Eli, who was the high priest. And it says that the word of the Lord was precious in those days. There was no open vision. Another translation renders that, that a word from the Lord was unusual in those days. There was no public vision. You know, so uh, again, this is happening in a time when they did not have a Bible like you and I have, and uh, much of what God would reveal, he would reveal through a prophet. There would be uh, something that would be revealed to a person, and then it would be shared and confirmed in that way. And what we're being told is that this uh, scene takes place in a day when that was very rare. God was not speaking. It seems that people were not listening. And it says that it came to pass at that time when Eli the high priest, was laid down in his place, and his eyes began to wax dim. He wasn't seeing so sharply anymore. It says that before the lamp of God went out in the temple of the Lord, where the ark of God was, and that Samuel was laid down to sleep, it says that the Lord called Samuel, and he answered, and he said, here I am. So this scene takes place uh, biblical, biblically, historically, in a period of time that, that we would refer to as the period of the judges, the days of the judges. And it happens right at the tail end of that uh, span of time, which was actually about a 300 or so, give or take, year period where God was dealing with the nation of Israel through judges. And it's at the end of that time now, and God is preparing to do a new thing. God is preparing to make a transition. And that's something that's very important for us to realize about the God that we serve is that he never changes. He is always the same, but he doesn't always do things the same way. 
there are transitions and changes in the way that God goes about fulfilling his plan and fulfilling his purposes. And he is at this time preparing to do something new. Same God, but things are going to look different. And I hope you understand that with our God, things don't stay the same. God is taking us somewhere, even now. And and we have to be following him in such a way that if he turns or he changes or he changes the look of something, that we don't keep going because we're used to where we've been going. Because I've heard a quote that I've found to be true in my life, and that is that what got us where we are won't necessarily get us where we're going. And so sometimes God is going to do a new thing in order to bring us where it is that we're going. And so the period of the judges is coming to an end. And what is ending now, we're told, concerns this man Eli, who is the high priest of God. And what you don't hear in this text, but what was going on in the scene, is that God was not pleased with Eli. And the reason for God's grief is because Eli, who was supposed to represent God, had appointed his corrupt sons as servants and priests in the temple. And what they were doing is that they were seducing the women that were coming to worship, and they were stealing the best parts of the offering. And so the people would come, and the portion that they were giving to the Lord, they had this thing where they would take it from the people, and if the people would protest and say, no, this is not for you, this part is to be burned in the fire for the Lord, then they would uh, abuse the people, they would take it by force, and the result of that is that it says that people despised the worship of God. And so the service of God had become so corrupt that people despised God because of who was representing him. And thus God was grieved with Eli because he knew that his sons were doing this, but he didn't stop them or reprove them. And so God finds Eli in this position and in this place, and he says, I'm done with Eli. Now, while all this is happening in Shiloh, where the the tabernacle was set up, God started doing something in a different part of the country. And I find it very interesting that sometimes when God is through using a person or through with something, he doesn't necessarily judge it right away or bring it to an end. He just withdraws his presence and he starts doing something somewhere else. And I think that should be a warning to us to realize that sometimes when we start walking in a way that's compromised or we start living in a way that God has declared is not representative of him or right, he doesn't always bring down the gavel. There always isn't a punishment or something that lets us know. Sometimes he just moves aside and he starts doing something somewhere else. And so in another part of the land, there was a woman whose name was Hannah. She was married to a man whose name was Elkanah, and she was barren, and she was hurting. There was a pain inside of her because of the fact that she couldn't bear out a child, and there was no greater desire in this woman's life than that she would be able to raise a son. And so she watched while everyone else was fruitful and bearing, and she sat in in pain and agony while she herself was experiencing barrenness, and God used the pain in Hannah's heart to align her prayer with his will for her and for the nation. 
Now, I don't know if you heard what I just said, but God used her pain to align her prayer with his will and what he wanted to do for her and also for the nation. And so she prayed this way. She said, God, if you will give me a son, I will dedicate him to you all of his life. He will be set for your service. And when God saw that her will was in line with his will, because of the pain that brought her to that place, he then said, that's what I've been waiting for. Because you wanted a son, that's what was in your heart, but I wanted a prophet. And so I'm going to use your pain to bring you in line, and now I'm going to do the thing that you asked. And Hannah conceived, and she bore a son whose name was Samuel. Well, Samuel was brought to the temple when he was one year old, and he was dedicated to the Lord. At that point, he lived with Hannah until he was about four years old. But once he was weaned, she literally dedicated Samuel. She brought him to the temple, handed him to Eli, the man who we've seen in our story, and said, he is now yours. Shape him to be used by God. And so for the time he was four years old, he was raised up in the presence of Eli, dedicated to the things of God, and in this environment where he would learn his service. And so that was how Samuel got where he was when it says that the child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli the priest. Well, then the passage goes on and it tells us the conditions spiritually that were existent in that day. It says that a word from God was unusual, that there was no vision or open revelation. What that means is that God wasn't speaking. And the reason God wasn't speaking is because people weren't listening. They weren't receiving. Now, there was a form of religion. There was a vibrancy in the house of God. There was an obedience to the ordinance that God had commanded his people to fulfill and to complete. Those things kept going but they were going through the motions in such a way that people were serving, but they weren't relating. There was no experience of God in the going through of the motions with the people. It tells us also that Eli's eyes waxed dim. Now, that isn't just a physical characteristic that's being described there, but rather it's a physical ailment caused by a spiritual condition. See, it isn't just that Eli couldn't see with his eyes. Eli stopped seeing with his spirit. Eli stopped looking for God. And because his vision had died in things spiritual, it was reflected in the physical of his life. What was once vibrant had now become dull, and he was almost blind. Now, this type of spiritual blindness is the result of spiritual apathy. He was established in his position. He was established in his ministry. He knew what his duties were and what they were supposed to be. And thus he was able, because of that establishment, to set his life on autopilot and to just keep going through the motions and stop looking for how God might be leading. And in the process of that, he fell asleep and he had no more vision. He had no more vision for the needs of the people. He had no more vision 
for the potential that God might do something, that God was still moving. He lost a vision for purpose. He lost a vision for the next generation. He had no spiritual vision. He was simply going through the motions. And it says that the result of that, it tells us that because of it, it said that the lamp or the light in the temple had nearly gone out. Very symbolic. The light is what facilitates vision, and because the leaders weren't seeing, the people weren't seeing. The lamp of God had almost gone out. His voice has ceased. His leading has ceased. Vision has ceased in the temple. And so the conditions, what we find in this scene is that God wanted to do something, and that his leaders weren't listening. But there was a young man who is dedicated unto the Lord, who is serving God in the lane that God had provided for him to serve in, and his heart was in the right place. And God found a young man, God made a young man named Samuel so that he could do the thing that he wanted to do. Well, then God sees Samuel. He's probably about 12 years old by the time we get down to verse 4. And it says that the Lord now calls Samuel, and Samuel answered, and he said, here I am. The call finally came. Now, let me just ask you, uh, in a moment of, of vulnerable honesty, how many of you are jealous of the way God showed up for Samuel? That, that God just shows up, and he's laying there, he's in his bed, he's not looking for it, he doesn't even know it's available, and all of a sudden, God calls him, and God says, Samuel. What I have seen and experienced in my 20 years as a Christian, and most of those as a pastor, is that there are many people, and and this is Christians and non-Christians alike, that are searching for their calling. They're looking for their calling. And that means that they're, they're going out and they're evaluating. They're taking online tests and personality profiles and, and, you know, and, and kind of interest surveys and, and things to try to figure out what they might do that is in alignment with what's in them and that in that somewhere they're going to find their calling. Anybody relate to that? Anybody ever felt like that at any portion of your life that you're trying to find your calling? Well, there's good news here in the scripture, because what what we see here is is we see that Samuel, who is a representative of all of God's people who are dedicated to him, who are in their lane, whose heart is in the right place, is that if we, as God's people, stay in the lane or in the calling that God has given to us at this season, if we're faithful to the calling of the season that we're in, then we don't have to go find our calling, but our calling is going to find us. Do you understand? He didn't have to go out looking for it. He just had to be in the right place doing what God called him to do at this season, where he is right now, ministering unto the Lord before Eli. Not where he's going to be, but where he is. And it's in that place that God comes now to find him. And what that tells me is that we need to be surrendered to the will of God and faithful to the season that we're in. And our calling is already ours. We're just not seeing it in the moment that we're at. Now, the second question I have is what in the world did God's voice sound like when he called? I mean, can you picture it? Like, what does it sound like if God actually calls out your name? Whose voice does he sound? 
Well, notice what it says. It says that the Lord called Samuel and he answered, here am I. Now watch this verse 5. And it says that he ran unto Eli and he said, here am I for you called me. And he said, Eli, I called not, lie down again. And he went and he laid down. Now that's amazing to me. Is that when God called Samuel, Samuel heard Eli. That's amazing. Now, we don't know if he was in that place halfway between sleep and awake, you know, where sometimes something can jar you out of an almost sleep. You know, God's silent on that. He could speak there or he could have just been wide awake and, you know, he heard something. But what he heard sounded a whole lot like Eli. And I find that to be an amazing insight and an amazing thing that happened. Because what happened here is that Eli confused, listen, he confused the voice of God with what he was most familiar with. He confused the voice of God for the thing that he was most familiar with. The thing that had the greatest influence upon his life, he actually mistook that for God's voice, and he was so certain that it was actually Eli that spoke to him, that he went to Eli and he said, for you called me. I am certain that it was your voice that I heard. Now, in this, I think that there's an insight and there's also a warning as it pertains to the way that we hear God's voice. And here's what it is, is that the voice that we hear when God speaks to us is connected to and is somehow shaped by the things that influence our life. What was Samuel's greatest influence? It was Eli. He was the one that was raising him up. He was the father figure. He was the thing that Eli or that Samuel would look to as the representation of what God was, of what he was supposed to be doing. And when God spoke, it came through the influence that he was familiar with. That is the influence of Eli. Now, the things that I allow to influence my life are either going to help me or hinder me from hearing God's voice clearly. And I'm at a stage of my life right now, and I'm sure that I hope that you are too, where I want clarity when it comes to what I'm hearing and the direction that I'm moving. Because I realize that I'm finite and I don't want to waste time. I want to be effective in my life and I want to be responsive to the leading of the Spirit. And so that means that I need to be careful about what I'm allowing to influence my life because it affects the way that I hear. Now, that doesn't mean that I should shut myself in a room and that all I ever do is read the Bible or listen to Bible teachings or worship music. There are other things in life. We have other things that we have to do. But those things very definitely have an effect upon us, and we need to be discerning about where the voices that we're hearing are coming from. If we're filling our lives constantly with pop culture, and that comes in many different forms, whether it's through the screen or whether it's through earbuds or whether it's through what we see on social media, those things are going to play a part in influencing the thoughts, the premonitions, the things that come to us, and it's going to affect our decision-making and the wisdom of our choices. And so we need to be very wise about what's influencing our lives because the voices that we hear and the voices that communicate values to us are going to either clarify or cloud up the waters as it pertains to what we're going to see. And so the influence of Eli had an effect upon the voice that Samuel heard. Well, Samuel mistakes 
for Eli's voice. Eli says, it wasn't me. Go back to bed. And notice in verse 6 what it says. It says that the Lord called yet again Samuel. And Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, here am I, for you did call me. And he answered, I called not my son, lie down again. Now, he says in verse 7, Samuel did not yet know the Lord, neither was the word of the Lord yet revealed unto him. Now, that doesn't mean that he didn't believe. It just means that he wasn't familiar enough with God yet to be able to recognize his voice when he spoke. That's the condition of Samuel at this age. That's very reasonable. He wasn't a prophet full grown at age 12. And I'm thankful for that. That doesn't work like that. But watch verse 8. It says that the Lord called Samuel again the third time, and he arose and he went to Eli and he said, Here am I, for you did call me. Samuel's probably thinking, This isn't funny anymore. You're an old blind man and now you're senile. You know, what in the world is going on here? But here's the comfort that I find in, in this repetition of this exercise that's going on between these two men, this young child and this man is that when God calls and we don't catch it or we don't hear it, God calls back. And I'm real thankful for that. Have you ever had to call someone and you secretly hope that it's going to go right to voicemail? Your laughter gives you away and that you won't actually have to have a conversation you know that, oh, I tried, I, I, I did my part, they didn't answer, I'm off the hook, I don't have to do this anymore. And I think that sometimes we think that God is that way towards us. We think that, okay, well, God, you know, you're kind of obligated. I got saved by accident. I heard the gospel and raised my hand. You didn't really want me necessarily. You'll include me because you're gracious, but I don't really have much to bring to the table. And so, you know, you'll call. I'll probably miss it. I'll go on my life. You'll do your thing with somebody else, and everybody's kind of happy, you know, in this whole thing. It doesn't work like that. See, if God has a calling on your life, that calling is for you. That calling isn't substitutionary. It isn't that God can just interchange the parts and say, well, you didn't, so someone else will. No, the calling, the will, the purpose that God has for your life has your DNA signature on it, and it's for you, and God is going to keep pursuing you in the thing. Have you ever thought about Jonah? I think I shared this a few weeks ago. Forgive me for being redundant if I did. Have you ever thought about the sermon that Jonah preached to the Ninevites? I mean, it was the weakest sermon that anyone has ever preached. He just said, hey, look, you got 40 days, and if you don't repent, your city's toast. And he did it with a hard heart and a bitter spirit, and he didn't even want to go. Anybody could have preached that message. Anybody. Rahab could have preached that message. You know, someone in Nineveh could have preached that message. But God had Jonah chosen and cut out to bring that message to the Ninevites. And he wasn't going to let Jonah off the hook, even if it meant a big fish, several thousand miles in the belly of that fish, and then a bald, acid-burned, skinned man walking up on the shore covered with seaweed and giving a message that he didn't want to give. Listen, if God has a calling on your life, you don't have to be afraid that you're going to miss it and that that's it, you lost your opportunity. If God calls, when God calls, God calls back. And when God speaks, he speaks until we get the message. An amazing thing, absolutely incredible that God calls back. Well, notice what it says in verse, uh, the end of verse 8. It says that Eli 
perceived that the Lord had called the child. Now, Eli was done, but he wasn't all bad. His sons were bad, and his fault is that he didn't correct his sons. But here, Eli does something that's absolutely essential and outstanding. It's a beautiful thing. Is that Eli has a discernment into the situation. He has a a, a perception, an understanding now as to what's going on. And he's able to give the proper guidance that's necessary in order for Samuel to understand what God's trying to do within his life. Notice, it says that he perceived that the Lord called the child. Therefore, Eli said unto Samuel, go lie down and it shall be if he calls you that you shall say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and he laid down in his place. Now, I absolutely love this picture that's presented to us here in the scripture because what we see is we see the older exiting generation giving wisdom and clarity to the new and younger generation so that the purpose and kingdom of God can move forward. And that is absolutely beautiful. There was a, um, a time several years ago, we, our family goes camping with, with my wife's parents each year up in the Adirondacks. Uh, we camp at this place called Fish Creek Ponds. It's kind of in the Saranac Lakes uh, thing. And this is a great campground. They're, you know, real just fitting for, for families and, and things like that. But there's this, um, there's this little road that kind of comes off the campgrounds and goes over to where the shower house and the bathroom is. And if you walk along this little passageway that connects the two things, you get those Adirondack pines kind of on both sides of the street a little bit set back. And it's just this most amazing, it's my favorite part of the whole thing is just walking to the bathrooms and the shower house because there's something about those trees they're only in the I mean maybe they exist somewhere else but there's nothing like those trees in the Adirondacks the way the wind kind of hits them a certain way and there's something remarkable about them because I sat one year and I just sat on a guardrail and I just stared at these trees and the Lord really just began to talk to me there and it was this is amazing thing it wasn't audible but it was conversational and it was almost tangible like I can tell you the back and forward of of what went on but essentially here's what God showed me there was two generations of trees there was the high level and they were all equal right across the top just perfect unity like you could put a level across them and they were just perfect and then exactly halfway down the trunk of the tall ones was the second generation of trees and they were all of equal level interspersed between all of these other trees. And it just was acres and acres and acres of this. You could just see the tree line of it. And I just watched it. And the Lord just said, do you see what you're looking at there? And he, and he spoke and he said, there's two generations always existent in my work on earth at every given time. And each generation is essential for the survival of the other. And he showed me that those trees were barren. The tall trees were barren from the top down. There was no more sunlight getting through to be able to support the branches. And so there was no green on anything in the upper third of those tall trees. They had maturity. They had strength. They had majesty. They knew how to catch the wind. And the sound of the voice of the wind was going through those trees in an unmatchable way. But underneath that, the new generation, they were covered with green. They were healthy and vibrant. They didn't have the height. They didn't have the majesty. They didn't have the maturity of the, second, the first generation. 
but they were essential to the furtherance of the forest. If they weren't there, there would be no further. There would be no, nothing more. And if the tall ones weren't there, then the root system of the smaller trees wasn't strong enough to withstand the weather patterns up in the mountains. And so two generations are necessary. The covering of those that are older and more mature and the life vibrancy and vision of the younger, and both are necessary for furtherance and for progress. And it's an amazing picture of the kingdom of God. And it's amazing what's happening here because Eli is perceiving that God is calling a new generation and he is embracing the fact that he has to pass the baton and he's willing to play his part to support a coming generation. Now, when one of the two generations, either the older one that's departing or the younger one that's up and coming, when any one of those generations rejects the existence or the validity of the other one, things begin to break down. When the older generation looks at the younger generation and says, they don't get it. They're, they're, they're just way off base. They don't have what we have. They'll never be what we are. They're not even valid. They're unsaved. We're the last generation there ever will be. You know, when that happens, then you're tripping up the plan and the purpose of God. My wife said something today to me that was extremely profound. She said that we're called not only to bear fruit, but to bear seeds. The seed is in the fruit. And at the same time, we're bearing fruit to be useful now. We're bearing seed that will germinate later. And when the older generation says, no, it's invalid, we're not helping them, then we're stopping the plan. We're discordant with the purposes of God. When the younger generation says, we don't need the older generation, the gray heads, the old hymns, the wooden pews, we don't need it. The lit chandeliers, we've got this. We've got vision. We've got vibrancy. When the younger generation doesn't glean from the discerning wisdom and the voice of the old that is seasoned with experience, then the younger generation cuts off their potential starting point. Because we have, younger people, we have the privilege of standing on the shoulders of those that went before us. And when we say, no, we got nothing to learn from you, we start from ground zero when we could be starting from above. Both generations are necessary. And Eli perceived, he discerned that the Lord had called the child Samuel. And so he gives him priceless advice. His advice to Samuel is, listen, if you hear that voice again, In your heart of hearts, you say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. Now, I love that. That's gold. Do you know why? Because most people would have probably said, you know, the Lord's calling you. I can help you. Why don't we start a Bible study together? And let's have some mentoring sessions And we'll talk about what your gifts are and we'll find a place for you to serve. And and, and we'll see how God might bring. Or or, you know what, Samuel, you bring up an interesting point. And maybe we should have a a, a class. Maybe we should have a class for, for newer people, for younger people. And he doesn't do that. 
He realizes and he says that if God has a calling on your life, then the calling that God has upon your life is God's calling upon your life, and he's the one that's going to have to reveal to you what it is. I'm not going to be able to tell you. There's no, listen, there is no human being that is going to be able to communicate to you what God has for you. Do you understand that? There's no human being that can communicate to you what God has for you. Only God can communicate that to you. That's why he says, if you hear that again, you go directly to God and you say, God, speak for your servant here. There's this beautiful interaction that happened between uh, King Solomon, you know, David's son, the rich one, the gold, the wisdom, you know, the guy. Beautiful interaction that happens between Solomon and the Lord when the Lord was calling Solomon. I mean, he was already the king. He was kind of already in his place. And Solomon had a dream. And the Lord spoke to him in a dream. And the Lord came to Solomon and he said, Solomon, ask whatever you want and I'm going to give it to you. You guys, probably most of you know the story, even if you're not familiar with church things. Solomon replied and he said, you know what? I'm in a big prominent position. I'm leading a very powerful people. I don't know how to discern and judge between what's right and wrong. And these cases can be complex. And I don't want to look like a fool, and I don't want to fail in my call. And so if you will give me whatever I ask for, my request is that you would give me wisdom and understanding and the ability to judge and discern what's good and what's evil and to make good choices for the sake of the people. And God spoke back to Solomon, and it says that the thing that he asked for pleased the Lord. God was pleased with the request of Solomon, and he said, because you asked for understanding... And you didn't ask for riches and wealth and for the life of your enemies and fame for yourself and glory. But because you asked for understanding and wisdom and discernment to do my will, listen to what God says. And I think it'll go up on the screen. God said this. He says, I think it's verse 12 of chapter 3 of 1 Kings. God said, I have done according to your words. Notice, I have given you a wise and understanding heart so that there was none like thee before thee, neither shall... Do. But, but listen, listen, leave, this, leave the verse up there. Look what it says. He says, I have done. Do you see that? I have given you. He doesn't say, I am giving you, or I will give you. It's not present tense. It's not future tense. What tense is it? It's past tense. See, he says to Solomon, he says, I already have given you this thing that you are now asking for. But it was this situation that I have brought you to now. It was this interaction that we're having between heaven and earth, between me and you, where you are realizing your need for what I have already willed for your life, and now I am opening your understanding to receive what it is that I willed for you all along. And that is so essential for you and I to realize is that what's in us is in us, but it takes God to reveal it and to bring us to the place where we see it. It can't come from a man. Even David, who cared more for Solomon than any other human being, couldn't tell Solomon what God was going to do and what God was going to give him and what the strength of his life was going to be. It has to come from God. It's essential that if we're going to walk in his will, that we hear his voice and that he communicate to us what it is that he wants from us. And so when we sense, God, that you're trying to speak to me, God, there's something happening. God, there's transition. God, there's a new thing that you want to do in my life or in my family or in my society, in my sphere. 
That we go to him and we say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. Not the pastor's office. Not the latest book in craze and trend. Not the counselor. Yes, there's value in those things in their proper place. But the will and plan and voice of God has to come from God. Speak, Lord, he says, for your servant hears. Amazing. Beautiful. Well, watch this. So Samuel went and he laid down in his place, and it says that the Lord came and stood and called as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel answered, speak for your servant hears. And it says that the Lord said to Samuel. So in the stillness of that moment, his ears open to the voice of God. God gives him clarity and understanding, hearing, and he says, behold, I will do a thing in Israel at which both the ears of everyone that hears it will tingle. In other words, God says, I'm about to do a new thing. I'm about to bring transition in such a way that I'm going to do something that no one's ever seen, no one's ever heard. And when they hear it and understand it, both of their ears are going to perk up because it's so uh, uh, um, different. (laughs) And he says, I am going to do a thing. In that day, he says, I will perform against Eli all of the things which I have spoken concerning his house. And when I begin, I will also make an end. I'm going to finish what I start. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knows because his sons made themselves vile and he restrained them not. And therefore I have sworn unto the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be purged with sacrifice nor offering forever. He's done. This can't be undone. This decision is final. And so it says that Samuel laid until the morning and he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and Samuel feared to tell Eli the vision. Now you can imagine a 12-year-old who's got to now go confront an aged man who is his boss and his authority and tell him that he's fired, you know, and he's afraid to do it. But I want you to notice the word at the end of the, uh, the passage I just read at the end of um, verse what we're, yeah, 15, where it says to show Eli. Do you see that word there? The what? The vision. Ah, that's very interesting to me because we ask the question, what does God's voice sound like? You know, so far, if we put all together everything that, you know, Samuel has experienced in this hearing of God's voice, it started kind of as half dream, maybe, and then it mixed with a voice that sounded a whole lot like a voice he was familiar with, and then it kind of also included the influence of his life, and now he calls it a vision, and you're like, oh, great, that brings great clarity, you know, (laughs) what does the voice of God sound like, which one is it, yes, yes, See, God is able to communicate in a spiritual way, and he communicates in a spiritual realm. He does it in a way that we perfectly understand what it is that he's trying to communicate, even though it's not the way that we're used to receiving information in the physical realm. The other uh, morning, I think it was actually, uh, it was either Thursday or Friday of last week, I was just about to leave for work, I have to be here at 9, and... um, and I opened up the, garage, the door that goes down to the garage to get something, and water was pouring out of the garage ceiling. You know, it's not supposed to do that. <laughs> and, uh, and so I, oh, you know, <laughs> when you have a house, you know, the house tells you what you're going to do, you know. So 
I go up to the bathrooms where I know it's coming from, and sure enough, I hear it, but I can't see it. It's in the wall, you know? So I'm like, oh, you know, I got to get to work, you know, and the whole thing. But I can't leave it like this. I can't shut down the water of the house for the day. So I'm like, all right, let's do this. So I go and I get the cord, the sawzall. I run into the, uh, you know, the bathroom behind the better bathroom, and I start cutting into the wall. And I cut out the section of the wall so that I can figure out where this thing's coming from. And, and what it is, it's, it's, the, um, it's the, the little... You know that thing that when you, when you know the toilet in your house and you know that pipe that comes out of the wall way down by your feet that feeds water into your toilet? Well, that little pipe that comes out of the wall had corroded and there's like a knuckle there with threads and then a pipe that screws into it that comes through the wall and it was that little pipe. So I, I kind of went to, to, to touch it and as soon as I touched it, the whole thing just broke off. You know, so I'm like, ah, oh, so I, now I know where the leak is. I go shut the water off, you know, that's spilling all over my house, you know. And, and I'm looking at this thing, and I can't get into that knuckle to get the broken threads out of that pipe that broke off in there. You know, in order to do that, I'd have to cut through a lot. There would have been a big process to get it out. So I went in the other bathroom, and I'm on the floor next to the toilet in my work clothes, peering through this tiny little hole that's cut in the tiles, and I can see the threads broken off inside this knuckle. And as I'm laying there, all of a sudden, I had a vision, okay, of a tool that I don't, I've never seen and that I don't know it exists, that looks kind of like a wedge that maybe if I could jam it in there and get the edges of it to bite, those threads, maybe then with a wrench, I can turn it and loosen those threads and get them out. And I'm thinking, like, that's never going to work. This thing is rusted. It's corroded. I'm cutting this whole thing out. And I want to get to work on time, okay? Because I don't like being late. I don't like sharing my business. Everything, I always feel like when I say I got a home emergency, it sounds like an excuse. So I'm like, ah. But I see this thing in my head. So I go down to my garage. I look around. I find this, this thing that if I cut it with a grinder, I can make it look like this tool that I'm visualizing in my head. And so I, I get one. I take it. I go into the bathroom. I have my two boys with me, Riley and Noah. They're on the floor. They're asking too many questions. <laughs> and, and, and I just said, you know, and I just said, let's pray. Jesus, please let this work. I need to get this done. You know, please, Lord. So I take and I give it a whack, whack, whack. And I take a pair of channel locks and I go. It works. The thing comes loose, I unscrew, I pull out this thing with the threads on the thing, and I said, now we have to give thanks. If God answers our prayer, we have to thank him. And I said, thank you, Jesus. We got in the car, we sped, both, you know, me and the two boys, we sped to Davies because the other place isn't reliable anymore. I don't want to hurt, offend people. You know, I went to, and, and, and got the, the thing. As I was leaving, I said to the, to the woman there, I said, thank you for being here. Thank you. You saved my day, you know, just being here and the whole thing. And she said, oh, thanks for saying that. She came around the counter. She gave my, both of my boys a free kite, you know, which was awesome, you know. We get in the car, speed home. I mean, drive the excessive limit of what's acceptable home. I get there. I put the thing in. Changed my shirt, got to work 8.59. It was unbelievable, you know. Now, I know that's kind of a long story and probably not worth the time it took to tell it. But, but I knew, I knew that that was from God. 
I just, it was like God gave me this picture of this whole thing working in the way that it was going to work with something I didn't have, you know, and the whole, and, it, and I was just amazed by it, but it was such a, an example of the way that God can speak and how sometimes we can think that it came from us or we cannot recognize it, and, and it's, it's just remarkable, you know, the, the way that God uh, does things. Now, I, I told that for a reason. It'll probably connect later on. You know, and the whole thing. But, but you'll notice at the end of this, uh, or, or that in this thing, there's one further factor that I think is, is important in, in this question of how do we hear God's voice. And that is that what God said to Samuel was very much connected to his environment. Did you hear what God said to Samuel? He said, listen, the thing that I've declared concerning Eli's sons, they're not going to continue before me because of their vileness, and he didn't reprove them, and and all this stuff. Now, what God said was a connecting of the dots of all the things that Samuel had been observing but didn't yet understand. He saw Eli's sons, but he's 12 years old. He sees them talking to the ladies, but probably doesn't understand. He sees what they're doing with the sacrifices. He sees the dynamic of the relationship. He probably hears some of the grumblings of the people, but he's 12 years old. And so all of these things are kind of going on around him. He's fulfilling the day today. But when he says, speak, Lord, for your servant hears, what God does is that God connects the dots of all the things that have been going on around him. And he makes sense of it concerning his plan for Samuel and the nation, Eli in the future. And I think that's interesting that oftentimes when God speaks to us, it isn't like this crazy thing like sell everything and go to Africa. He can do that. Sometimes he does. But most often the voice of God, the way that he speaks, is that he connects all of these little parts of our life that we're familiar with and that are around us but don't really make sense in how they fit in the everyday scheme of things and God speaks we say God I've got these kids I've got these talents I've got these desires I've got this house I've got this place I've got this job but Lord how does it all fit together and sometimes the Lord just speaks and he goes boom 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 and you go yes I see it I get it I understand the picture is coming the vision is clear I'm hearing your voice so not just the influence of Eli Not just the counsel that came through the discernment and counsel of the older man, but now it's the ingredients of his environment that God plays upon in order to bring to pass the thing that Samuel's to know. And now comes the test. Notice it says in verse uh, 16, it says that then Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son, and he answered, here am I. And he said, what is the thing that the Lord has said unto you? I pray thee, hide it not from me. God do so to you, and more also, if you hide anything from me of all the things which he said to you. Ooh. (laughs) He's backed up against the wall. We already know that he's afraid to tell Eli what he's heard, and now the test comes, will he act upon what God has said? It says in verse 18 that Samuel told him every wit, everything, and he hid nothing from him, and Eli said, it is the Lord Let him do what seems him good. Eli already knew this is just confirmation that's coming from Samuel. And so he doesn't rebuke or chide Samuel for the report, but rather he surrenders to it and Samuel passes the test. Listen, it's very imperative that if God speaks, that we obey. That if God reveals, that we follow through. 
And I find that that is extremely paramount concerning if God is going to continue to speak to us in our life. Well, watch what happens in verse 19, the result of all of this. It says that Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and did let none of his words fall to the ground. We already know Samuel was not a full-grown prophet at age 12. What we do know now is that he started somewhere and then he developed. He started and then he grew and then he was established as a prophet to the whole nation. God did let none of his words. Now, why does it say that? That God did let none of his words fall to the ground. I believe that's intentional, instructional, and, and, and really hopeful. And here's why. Because Samuel probably didn't get it right every time. He probably thought at some times that he was hearing from God, and it turned out that maybe he wasn't. But because his heart was in the right place, and he was determined and set on God's glory and God's will, that even when he didn't get it right, God still backed him up. And that's great, isn't it? Because we learn to hear God's voice. We grow in our relationship with him, and sometimes we don't get it right But it's good to know that if our heart's in the right place, even if we don't get it perfect, God is still going to back us up. God let none of his words fall to the ground. And it says that all Israel from Dan even to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established to be a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again. Things are turning around for the nation in Shiloh. For the Lord revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh by the word of the Lord. Now watch this. One man's, one man's. Willingness to hear God's voice and to respond accordingly. Watch chapter 4, verse 1. It says, and the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Do you see the shift? At the beginning of the chapter, it says that the word of the Lord was rare and there was no open vision. There was no revelation. There was no light. There was no one listening. The light lamp in the temple had almost gone out. And because of one person, just one, who was willing to say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears, and then to respond to what God said, the entire culture of the whole nation has now shifted to where the ears of all are open to what God has to say. And it's being heard now from the northern point all the way down to the southern point because one person was willing to listen to the voice of God. That's amazing to me. Um, When I was in high school, I had friends on the swim team, and so I swam. I'm not a swimmer, I'm heavy, I'm stocky, I'm not lanky, never won a single race. And I remember uh, I would swim the 500, which was the longest recorded race there uh, at that time. I don't know if they do longer ones now. Um, But I would finish the race, and my coach would always say the same thing to me. He would say, you swam a great 700. And I would say, I would look at him, you know, and I would, you know, after a while I caught on, you know, he, he said, see, the way you're, that your problem and why you're maybe not doing so good is that it's a 500, but you're meandering in your lane. And because you're meandering in your lane, what's supposed to be 500 is actually a 700. What could take you five minutes is taking you seven minutes because you're meandering in your lane. And I never forgot that. And what I find that can happen to us is that we can kind of meander in our lane. 
See, Samuel was in his lane. His lane was that he was ministering unto the Lord before Eli. That's where God had him. And, and he didn't really know that there was a further calling. He didn't know that there was more. And when you don't have vision for what God wants to do or that he wants to do, what happens is that you can be in your lane, but you can meander in your lane. Vision works like this. God starts 35,000 feet. We have some idea of what he wants, where we're going, what we have, what's in store, where we live, all of that. Just a broad picture. And with each word that God speaks, we get a little bit closer to ground level. But if we don't have our eyes on the fact that God has a will and a plan and something that he wants to do with our lives, then we have the tendency to meander in our lane. And what maybe by God was only intended to take so long as we discover and grow and learn who he is and come into position can actually take longer because we've stopped listening. We've stopped looking. We've stopped hearing. And so important is it for us to hear the voice of God, to realize that he wants to speak and to look to him for the answer because we all have the potential if we stop listening to become those that stop seeing And eventually we become old like Eli, wondering where is God and when's the next time he's going to move. But all it takes is one. One person to say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. And God says, I'm so glad you're listening because I want to do a new thing. Now, one last thing and then we're done. Do you realize that in all of this, it had nothing to do with Samuel? See, Eli was about to pass the baton onto the next generation. And you can almost stop the story at the end and say, well, wow, Samuel, he's the hero of the story. But you know what? He's not. Because you know the new thing that God was about to do really had nothing to do with Samuel at all. It was really pointing towards who? David. The new thing was that God was going to raise up a king and a kingdom. That kingdom was going to reign and be glorious. And here's the point. Is that Samuel's hearing, Samuel's purpose, Samuel's victory, Samuel's success was all about the moment that he would pass the baton to David who would come after him. But you know what's amazing? It wasn't about David either. You know why? Because David would take that same baton and one day he would hand it off to Solomon who would become the greatest king that Israel had up to that time, at least in terms of wealth and prosperity. But you know what? It really wasn't about Solomon either. Because Solomon was going to hand that baton to Rehoboam. And I think you begin to get the picture and the baton would be passed and be passed and be passed until finally one day it would land in the hand of a man whom Jesus would call the greatest of the prophets but there was none that was greater that ever lived before him, a man named John the Baptist. And that man, at the end of his course, would pass that baton and he would put it into the hand of the man who owned it would go into the hand of Jesus Christ, the one of whom it was and is all about. And Jesus would fulfill his course in representing the Father to the world and dying for the sin of mankind upon a cross in Jerusalem. The most remarkable thing is that Jesus would take that same baton that was rightfully his and he would hand it off again. He would give it to Peter and the apostles who would then pass it on and down it goes. And now, it's in our hand. We hold the baton. The same baton that Eli to Samuel to Jesus. And one day, 
the fruit that we bear will drop seed that will grow as we pass the baton onto whomever God would have come after us. It's not about us. It's about him. And we have the privilege of being a part of that plan and of seeing our place and of running our race and bearing fruit for his name. Jesus, we thank you so much that you are who you are. And we thank you, Lord, for the part that we get to play. And Lord, as we seek you in your word as to how to hear from you, Lord, we ask that you would help us, Lord. That you would open the ears of our understanding. That the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ would be so clearly reflected in and through us that we would hear you so very clearly that with open face, nothing restricted, no veils, no barriers, God, that we would hear you, that we would live for you, that we'd walk before you. So help us, Lord. Give us ears to hear. We declare, Lord, speak for your servants here. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. Thanks for joining us for the Pastor Nick Santo podcast. To regularly receive these teachings, be sure to subscribe so that you can get it automatically when it's released. If you find this material helpful, please share it and help us get the message of Jesus out to others. We also appreciate your feedback. So if you would, leave a review in iTunes or email us at pastor.nickpc at gmail.com. Until next time, may you continue to love, learn, and live the way of Jesus.